Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 78, Money Beliefs. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a certified life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. Hello, everybody. I am back. It has been a minute. It's been a couple weeks since I've recorded an episode for you guys, and that is because I got COVID. I got coronavirus. So the week before Easter, the weekend before Easter, we had some family over for Sunday dinner and didn't know, they didn't know that there were a couple people in one of the families that was positive. So then the very next day, still not knowing I've been exposed to COVID, I went and got my first vaccination shot. So I was very excited about that. And uh, a few days later, I came down with COVID. So uh, we spent two weeks quarantining. My husband's already uh, immunized, which was great. And he didn't get it, but my older girls did and myself. And uh, it actually timed out pretty well with spring break, which was a little bit of a bummer to not do anything for spring break. But it was nice that there already was kind of nothing going on on one of those major weeks that we were sick and needing to quarantine. So just in the last couple of days, we ended our quarantine and re-entered society because we're all healthy and feeling great and past all the markers we needed to be past as far as being careful not to spread it to other people and all of those things. So it's nice to have my kids back at school. It's nice to be back at work. Um, it was not fun. I, I had a relatively mild case all in all, I would say, but it still knocked me out, knocked me off my feet. Um, I'm still working on getting back to full energy. I do feel like myself again, which feels so great because for many, many days, I did not feel like myself. I didn't feel like my, you know, my brain was foggy. My, uh, energy was gone. My, um, some of my main symptoms were just a, a high fever for a couple of days, some coughing. Uh, it was hard to sleep for those harder days, but any time that I started to feel a little bit better and I would try to get myself up to do some things, it would just knock me back down. So I finally realized like, even on the days when I'm feeling a little better, I just need to try to do nothing, really take it easy to let myself get over this and, and get healthy again. So that's what I was able to do and feels good to be on the other side of it. So I wanted to share that with you guys because uh, in this whole time I've been recording this podcast, I haven't really missed any weeks like that. There's been times where I've gone maybe eight or nine days without publishing a new episode, but I try to publish one every week. And for the most part, I've been able to do that. So it was an interesting experience to take this break because I didn't have any episodes like pre-recorded that I could publish during that time that I was sick. And I just decided that was okay. But it has been interesting to watch my brain over the last couple of days as I've been getting back to work and back to my pretty regular schedule. And then today as I sat down to record this podcast episode, I couldn't believe how weird I felt. I couldn't believe how like out of rhythm I felt. And my brain was offering me all kinds of thoughts like maybe you should keep taking a break or maybe... 
maybe you're out of your rhythm now and uh, it's going to be hard to record a new podcast episode or maybe you're not good at this anymore. I, I think it's so funny. My brain offers me that pretty, not like frequently, but whenever I go to, you know, kind of put myself out there, even if it's a minimal amount of risk, my brain loves to offer me like, maybe you're not even good at this anymore. Maybe you're not even sure what you're doing, you know, just kind of these doubtful thoughts. And sometimes they're hard to hear and I almost want to believe them a little bit, but often, particularly if it's in an area where I have tons of evidence that I am capable in this area and, you know, have natural talents and experience and whatever, I'm able to just kind of chuckle at myself when it offers me those thoughts. But anyway, our brains are awesome and understanding them is even better. So that is the goal of this podcast and the goal of working with a life coach. And so I am here ready for a new episode for you guys. So today we are talking about money beliefs. And I'm actually really surprised I made it this far in my podcast without talking about money. And I'll tell you why. I sort of feel like I have money in my blood. So what that means is I was raised by an accountant. My dad's an accountant. He was raised by an accountant. So we have just kind of this money mindset in our in our family. Like for example, I'm, you know, 10 years old and we're having a family meeting on Sunday and my dad brings out the budget and reviews with everybody where they're at on, you know, oh here your clothes budget. Oh, let's think about next year for our vacation budget. So I grew up in that kind of just money uh, is very neutral. Money is just numbers. It's facts. Those are some of the thoughts we're going to talk about today. It was highly refreshing to be raised in a home where there was very little money drama or like high emotions around money. And at the time I didn't know that was refreshing, but now that I've been exposed to lots of other ways that people feel about money and think about money and interact with money, I just take that relief breath of air thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I have such a kind of a solid, no drama attitude and belief system around money. Now, that being said, I'm still human. I still create all my own drama. So when you hear me say that, don't think that I just have this perfect relationship with money and that I never think anything unproductive when it comes to my interactions with money. I definitely do. I'm definitely human, but it is nice to have that solid foundation. So going on with just kind of my history and background in money, when I was in college and getting my bachelor's degree, I decided to have my degree be in finance. And I didn't want to go all the way into like being an accountant, but they had this cool program where I went to school at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, where it was, it was kind of an emphasis in family finance. So it was more like running a small business or running family finances, right? So it wasn't at that high, intense accounting level that doesn't super interest me, but it was at a level where it gave me a ton of, again, more just adding to that solid foundation and background that I have in money so that I can have a lot of confidence in my ability to manage finances in my family, in my businesses that I run and own. So that was awesome. And I loved that. And I graduated with my degree in 2006, my bachelor's degree. And at that point, I started having babies and I just sort of let that take a back burner for a little bit and just had my eye open for what I might do with that degree and what I might do with my interest and love of money and my foundation that I had. And in 2010, when our family was living in Alabama, we were stationed at Fort Rucker for a couple of years while my husband went to flight school. Uh, I found an opportunity for military spouses to apply to receive a grant 
to participate in a program that upon completion of the program requirements, you would have your financial counselor accreditation. And I was so excited about that because I thought, what a great next step. This is specifically, this grant is for military spouses, which I am. So how cool that they're going to pay for it if I'm accepted into the program. And it was something fun for me to direct my attention to over the next couple of years. And it was right in line with what I love to do and where my degree was and everything. And I thought in that way, at some point when I'm ready to work again or, or whatever, uh, I'll have one more tool in my tool belt, one more resource available to me to make me more employable and more you know, qualified and, and have just even more experience. So I applied for the program and was accepted. If I remember right, just to be accurate, I believe I applied once and wasn't accepted. And then uh, like a year later, I think I applied again. So I think that the first time I applied while we were living in Alabama, I actually didn't get accepted. I think they only accept a certain number each year that the program is offered. But then uh, I waited a year and applied again and then was accepted at that point. So life did not go quite as planned and that program did not go quite as planned, but it was a phenomenal program that I was not able to complete. And I learned so much. I took all the courses, I took all the tests, passed them, and was just in the part of it where I needed to complete my practicum hours, which are basically you're on on the job, um, you know, in person, whether it's volunteer or paid position, where you're getting those actual like financial counselor hours, so that you can finish your accreditation and then and then be. Um, set up to get a job. So I had a couple of places where I was getting my hours here and there just a little bit. Um, But then I had just a couple of like some of the hardest years of my life right in there. And I had that time constraint. I had to get my practicum hours by I think the end of three years of starting the program. And right in that year two and three was when my husband deployed and I fell and broke my leg during that whole deployment. So it really took me out of a lot of the extra things that I was working on at the time. And then when I recovered and he came home, we immediately got pregnant and then lost that baby. So when my life would kind of pull itself back together, I would work on it a little more and get a few more hours. And then something else huge and hard and life-changing would happen. And I would let go of all those extra things again for a while until I could eventually pull my life back together. And by the time I pulled my life back together after losing my baby, um, I only had just months left to complete these hours. I believe I had to get 400 practicum hours. And at that point I maybe had like a little over a hundred. And I just was, I just realized that my life did not go as planned and that this was one I was going to have to let go of. So I was able to write them a letter and we talked about even giving me, there was like a six month extension available to me, but, um, I was at that point actually already pregnant again and did not have a great, source of my hours. I think if I had had a great source for my hours, I would have felt more confident about being able to get them in that limited amount of time. But because I was just getting, you know, a few hours here and there, just like everywhere I could get someone to let me come in and observe or come in and volunteer, but none of my sources for hours were like, come in as much as you want and get all the hours you need. It was like just scraping for hours is what it felt like to me. So I just accepted that. And I wrote them a letter thanking them so much for the opportunity and for everything that I'd learned from that program and that I was so sorry, I was not going to be able to complete it. And that was a real disappointment in my life. And it can be so hard to change course like that. But I wanted to tell you guys that story because that is actually one really important piece that led me to coaching. So not completing that program was very hard and it taught me a lot about myself participating in the program and not completing it. 
And the message that I kept receiving when I would ponder it or pray, asking him like, what, what am I supposed to do next? I really thought that program was going to be the thing. The answer that I would receive and the thought that would come to my mind very frequently when I would ponder this concept was like, that was just another piece. That was just another step. Like be patient. It's all coming. It's coming together. So when I learned about what a life coach was, that was the final piece. And it was amazing because as I participated in that accredited financial counselor program, I realized that while I loved money, I didn't actually want to talk to people about how they should structure their budget or about their taxes or about retirement or about anything that financial counselors often will talk to people about. They'll talk about the facts of their money and they'll talk about the math of their money and they'll talk about a lot of what they should be doing in the action line, right, of their model when it comes to money. And all of those things are incredibly important. And thank goodness there are amazing financial counselors out there available to people who need guidance and support and um, expertise in that area. But having worked with people in that way, it didn't quite light my fire like I thought it would because I love money and I love talking about money. But when I learned about what a life coach was and I learned about how the life coaches help people with money and how they help people with money because it's all about your money beliefs and your money, your relationship with money and your attitude towards money. And that lit me up immediately. And when I was able to coach people about it for the first time, I thought, this is it. This is what I've been waiting for. Now, what's interesting about that is I am not like a money coach. I don't focus on that. That's not my emphasis at all. I played around with it. I thought about doing it for a while. But what really spoke to me was helping these incredible women through deployment. And I knew that that was where my passion and expertise and experience was best served is in that area. And I knew that in being a life coach for military wives who are working through deployments and working through just the struggles of military life, that I would have plenty of opportunities to coach on money, even without making that like my specialty or my emphasis. So while the journey that got me to this point was definitely different than I would have ever planned it. It was an amazing one and each piece needed to be there so that I could learn more about myself, more about money, more about what I wanted to do with my future and how I wanted to help people. Okay, so all of that brings me back to just discussing this concept of of the way we look at money as mind managers and, and when we're doing it in this thought work way. Because the way that it's easy to think about money is it's easy to think about what I should do with my money. And it's easy to think about what I have done with my money. And it's easy to think about what other people do with their money. But as soon as you understand the CTFAR model, you see that all of that, like I've already said, is in the action line. And while the action line is everything and very important, you have to start with the thought line. And the thought line is what you are currently thinking about money, what you currently believe money has the power to do in your life, what you currently think about if money is good or bad, if money is evil or powerful, if money is a tool and a resource to you, or if money is only for other people, or if you're just bad with money, or, you know, these are all the things that you are thinking about money and you may not even realize that they're just thoughts. They may, they may feel like facts to you. And that's why it's so important to take a look at your money beliefs and your money relationship and put it in the model. Because we know that we can only put the actual facts in our C line. And those are facts like this this is the balance of my checking account. This is the amount of money I've saved for retirement. This is the amount of money I owe on my house. 
this is the amount I owe on my car or whatever you might you know, have a loan for. But we often have thoughts about money that we think should also go in the C line. Like um, money is hard. I'm just not good with money. There's never enough or there's only ever just enough or debt is bad. None of these things are facts. These are just thoughts that you have about money. And you can keep all of them. You can keep some of them. You can rewrite some of them, but it's so important to just start to figure out what you think about money. So in previous episodes, we've talked about what it means to have a relationship with something, and that is just the thoughts that we think about it. So I've already started talking about that here with what is your relationship with money? What do you currently think about money? That's your first assignment in this episode is to just sit down and do a thought download where you just ask yourself questions about this. And you just say, you know, what do I think about money? When I look at my past, like what sticks out to me about money? When I think about the future, what do I think about money and like the role it will play in my future? When I think about my ability to earn money, to save money, to spend money, what does that look like? What is my experience around spending money, earning money, saving money? It's interesting to just start to unravel some of that and just write it all down on a paper and then take a look at it. It makes it hold still when it's on a paper. That's why I'm always telling you to write things down. Because if you just take, if you just let the thoughts go around in your head of, I'm going to spend some time thinking about money, that's totally fine, but it's very hard to get a hold of them and to start to work on them when they're swimming around in your head and, and never holding still. They never stop moving and they're slippery when they're inside of our head. So your first task again is to write down what, you know, as many of your current thoughts about money as you can dig out of your brain and then just start to run some models on it and make sure when you look at that thought download that you say like, okay, this line and this line are facts and could go in my C line. And again, that has to do with just like the facts of the money or, you know, the data, the numbers, That is what can go in your ceiling, but everything else is just what you've decided to think about it. Like we're in tons of debt. That's not a fact. That's just what you've decided to think about the amount of money that you owe somebody else for the items that you purchase, you know, whether it be, you know, home or a car or student loans, whatever that is. So a couple of thoughts that I want to offer you as you identify which thoughts might be making you have maybe a scarce relationship with money, or it might make you be almost afraid to take a look at your money. Like, have you ever noticed that, that you almost don't want to like log in and see what your balance is? That money, if money feels like it has power over you or more power than you want it to have, or it's feeling scarce or like it's for other people. If you start to identify some of those thoughts that you're wanting to make some adjustments around, again, first, just gain that awareness. And then the next thing you do, once you realize that your thoughts are what are creating your feelings around money and your feelings are what you take action from every time. And if it's very easy for you to see the action you take around money, just take some time to walk it back two steps and see what your thoughts and feelings are about money that are driving that action. And then ultimately you're able to study your result line and say like, when I think this way about money, or about my balance in my checking account or about the amount of debt I have. Then I feel this way. Then I take this action and then my current result is, and then whatever that is, if that's maybe it's that you're spending more money than you should or that you're not paying down the debt as fast as you want to be because often we get overwhelmed or again in that kind of that scarcity mindset and then we hang on to money or we spend it as fast as we can or or whatever. It's going to look different for everyone's action line of what those thoughts and feelings are going to cause for you. 
That's why it can be so valuable to take a look at this on your own in your own self-coaching and then even more so letting someone else take a look inside your brain. That can feel like a really scary thing when you're just thinking about it, but I have found there to be almost no better experience than letting my guard down and letting somebody else take a look at my brain. It is so valuable and so rewarding and it's never as scary as I'm worried it's going to be. And in the end, I receive so much value from letting somebody coach me and look at my brain, especially, oh, especially at the parts that I don't want to show them the parts that I want to feel shame about and keep hidden to myself. But those are the areas in my life where I can make some huge improvements by just making small changes, small changes to the way I'm thinking about those things. So when I notice myself saying like, oh, don't ever let anyone know you're thinking that or, you know, don't get coached on that. That'll be too embarrassing or too whatever. Then I think, oh, that's the perfect thing to get coached on. So anyway, when you let somebody else take a look, at the thoughts. They can really help you pull them apart. The visual that I like to give my clients is almost that we're sitting on a couch side by side and we're putting their thoughts up on like a a television screen or, or a monitor in front of us. And we're just watching like a movie. We're just observing the thoughts that they're having, the feelings that they're having, the actions that are coming from that, and then the results that are being created. And we're just gently guiding it, gently prodding for a little more information, figuring out this piece and this piece, getting really clear on it, getting that awareness. And then we start to write this like new movie script. And we say, now that we see that when I think this way, this is the result that I get from thinking that way. I want a different result in this one specific area. I want to take control of this area and create a different result for myself. And I know that if I'm going to create a different result, I need to start with the thought and think more intentionally about money. And I want to just start to repair and adjust and improve my relationship with money so that I can have better thoughts about it, more productive thoughts about it, and that they can come to me easily. When I truly improve my relationship with money, these new thoughts will come more easily. And your thoughts are what make up the relationship. So it kind of happens simultaneously, the improving of the relationship and the improving of the thoughts, and then it all feeling more natural and easy for you to do and think. It all just kind of happens simultaneously as you shift your focus to a relationship you want to work on. So when you're ready to work on your relationship with money, that's what it's going to look like. It's going to start with awareness and self-coaching. Another amazing step is to work with a life coach on your relationship with money and then to just improve that relationship by improving the way you think about money. So a few thoughts that I want to offer you when you're ready to start improving the thoughts that you think about money. And these are very simple thoughts and I've even talked about them in other ways before, but there are some that really help me as I work to identify what my current thoughts are. And then as I start to play around with what I want my new thoughts to be in certain areas. So one of that helps me really decrease drama and intensity around like my emotions with money is to just remind myself that money is just numbers. I think a similar one like that when it comes to like my weight or weight loss is that I remind myself like the the number on the scale is just a number. It's just information. One of my favorite actual thoughts when it comes to money and my weight is I think good to know. So when I'm tempted to not check my checking account balance or not see how much my credit card bill is going to be this month or whatever, I just think this is information that I need. These numbers are information that I need. 
And when I look at those numbers, I just love to think like, oh, good to know. That information is good to know. And it just helps me decrease that drama and reminds me that like I am in control here. And this information is just information that I can think anything I want to think about it, but I don't need to be afraid of it. None of it's powerful or has any control over me. I can choose any thoughts I want to think about this. So money is just numbers, just information. Another piece of this that I like to remind myself when I'm doing my self-coaching or getting coached on money is that when it comes to like a thought download about money, there's the math and the facts and the numbers and the information, right? That's all that what can go in the C line. And then there's the drama that I love to add to it. Like I already told you, like even though I have a very solid relationship with money and was raised in that way of just money is no drama, no no emotion, it's just facts and numbers and math, I still create drama and I always will. And I'm on a mission to just help my brain create a little less drama and just be aware of that the drama is always coming from my thoughts. But so this concept is just like math versus drama. So when I'm looking at that, thought download or when I'm analyzing a piece of my relationship with money, I think, okay, what of this is math and what of this is drama? And what I basically mean by that is like, what of this are the facts and just can go in the C line? And what of this is my thoughts that I'm just adding super unnecessary drama to the situation? I really work hard not to judge myself when I add drama, but I've just identified that drama makes everything more intense and more complicated and just harder to show up as the person that I want to show up as. So I really accept that I add drama and I accept that I'm always creating it with my thoughts. And then I say like, okay, so how could I decrease this drama by taking a look at my thoughts and realizing that my thoughts are what are creating the drama and what could I think about differently in this particular circumstance? Uh, Another piece that I want to touch on here is that a lot of times we have some pretty negative and judgmental and maybe scarcity thoughts around debt. We might be working on our relationship with money and being feeling pretty good about it, but then we kind of turn over this new leaf or this other area about money when it comes to debt and money we owe other people. Now, this is an interesting one because I was always raised to avoid debt like as much as possible. There are a few things that are worth worthwhile to go into debt for. And it's mostly just a home and a, and a mortgage. A few exceptions can be some student loans that should be paid off as quickly as possible, or occasionally an auto loan that should also be paid off as quickly as possible, but it'd be better to save and pay cash for any car you purchase. And while I still agree with those things, I've just opened my mind up a little bit to what debt actually means. So it was important for me to just explore this and then actually not even change my thoughts that much. But in the exploration of it for myself, I realized that I did have a bit of a like a complicated relationship with debt in that I I had labeled it as like bad and what bad people do almost. So another way you could say that is that debt has like a moral component to it. So that when I'm in debt, I almost can't be satisfied with my life because I'm not living right. And it's interesting because I don't really think this about other people and the debt they've decided to go into. I mostly just use this morality or this this um, kind of complicated way that I think about debt just as a on myself and really just as a way to try to keep myself out of debt. Almost as if I if I weren't thinking that. If I if I didn't think debt was bad, I might go into like a lot of debt. So I've just been like stretching my mind in this area to realize like I don't want to be in debt, but not because debt is bad, just because I like the person that I am when I avoid debt. 
I like the discipline that is required to save money for something. I like owning the things that I use rather than someone else owning them, right? Like the bank or something. It's such a different way to approach not wanting to have debt or excessive amounts of debt in your life to just say, it's just who I want to be as someone who tries to not have a lot of debt. And so that way, when something comes up or when my husband who, you know, thinks in some ways very similarly about money as I do, but in in other ways, very differently, we were raised very differently. And you're going to find that in a lot of marriages that, you know, some things you agree on and some things you have very different opinions on. And that can be really challenging to navigate in a relationship. And so stretching my mind in this area has been very helpful because when we want to get a new car, my husband says, yeah, no problem. Let's just get an auto loan. And I think, oh, auto loans are bad. <laughs> I have those interesting thoughts come up that brings it back to like debt is moral. You know, it's it's got a moral component to it. He doesn't feel that way at all. My husband doesn't feel that way at all. He also wants to avoid debt and not just go into debt needlessly or or flippantly. But he thinks uh, we need a new car and we don't have, you know, $30,000 saved for our new cars. We have, you know, you know $5,000 or $10,000 saved. So let's go buy the car today with a down payment, get a small auto loan, pay it off over the next few years. No big deal. That's no big deal to him. And so as I have done my own work on this and stretched myself in this area, I still want to avoid debt, but I love that I've gotten to a place that's much closer to where my husband thinks about this, where I realized like we could get an auto loan or not, and neither thing has any implication on if I'm like a good or bad person. I've loved to get some distance from that because I overdid it. I overdid that concept to try to really make sure I would keep myself out of debt And I don't need to do it that way anymore. I don't need to judge myself or other people and the way that they use money. I don't need to think about it that harshly in order to still accomplish the thing I want to accomplish, which is just to have minimal debt. And it's so refreshing and it feels so much better. So while I'm in a better position to take out an auto loan, for example, just to stick with that example, uh, because I don't need to judge it anymore and I don't need to... Um, judge myself or, or anything like that, I still am able to have just a really productive discussion and um, kind of analysis of, okay, should we take out this auto loan? Should we save some more money and wait a little bit? And I can just think about it so much more factually and mathematically. And that analysis can just be so much more informational rather than emotional and dramatic. So that is a really fun one to stretch your brain around. Okay, the final piece in all of this that I want to talk about today in this episode, there's really so, so much more to talk about with money. We're just scratching the surface here, but that's what I like to do in these episodes, especially if it's, you know, like the first time I've talked about money on my podcast. I know I've mentioned it here and there, but this is the first time I've done an episode completely about money. And so I don't want to go too deep or too crazy. I just want to start to introduce these concepts to you guys so that you can begin thinking about them. I want you to email me if you ever have any questions. Just send an email to jessie at simplyresilient.net. And I would love to hear from you what your thoughts on money are. But before I close the episode, I do want to talk about this cool comparison that I have used in my life. And I just want to offer it to you uh, if you find it interesting, if you find it helpful in your kind of your quest to discover your relationship with money and to make it a little more what you want it to be in an intentional way. So I have found that there are tons of comparisons between our physical health and our financial health. 
And one reason that I really like to find these comparisons is because sometimes it's easier for me to think about one than it is about the other. So it's very easy for me to think about like my physical health and to think about like working on my physical health and being more intentional when it comes to my physical health and looking at other people's decisions around their physical health and the decisions that I make and the goals that I have. All of that for some reason is just a little bit easier for me to think about And, and not just me, but I've found like with my clients that I've worked with, even when I was back studying to be the financial counselor, sometimes people get really uncomfortable thinking about and talking about and analyzing and setting goals around money. Money can just be this very hot topic that makes people embarrassed and uncomfortable and feel shame and it can feel so private. Money can just feel so private to people. So if I can loosen them up a little bit or loosen myself up, if I'm finding that to be true with me, with an with a comparison or an analogy, that can really help. So when I get people talking about money, I'll often start by talking about how the, the decisions that we make and um, can be really similar to the decisions we make around like our physical health. So some comparisons that I use are, for example, it can really serve us to to have a money budget, right? When we are trying to decide what we want to do with our money, one of the first things we need to know is where our money is going and why. And that's how we create a budget, right? So there's kind of, when you're thinking about like your spending plan, you have to know, you have to know where your money's already going, right? You have to know how much you have and where it's going. And that's similar when it comes to our our physical health and like dieting or or um, counting calories or whatever it is you decided to do. So when it's our physical health, it's like keeping a food log maybe to understand where where my calories are going every day. And then once we understand that, then that's when like the budget comes in. Okay. And when with our financial health, it's uh, keeping a spending log, right? And when we understand the food log and the spending log, and we can see where our calories are going and our money is going, then we're able to make a well-informed budget for what we're going to eat or how we're going to exercise or the amount we're going to sleep, right? Once we're like getting into those numbers and then in our money with the way that we are going to spend our money and save our money and uh, maybe try to increase our earnings and maybe try to decrease our debt, right? All of those components come into play with our budget and it's the same when it comes to our physical health. So that's that's an interesting comparison. Another one that I like to share with people is uh, when we're in trouble physically or financially, we are very tempted to want a big, quick fix. And this is just normal and human, okay? So I will hear my clients or even myself say or think to myself when I'm in trouble like physically, I'll think like, oh, you know, say I need to lose a bunch of weight or say my client wants to lose a bunch of weight and I'll hear them say, maybe I should just get liposuction, right? Like then I could just suck all this fat off me and I would go down 20 pounds and I would just have this like quick fix, right? Or I wish there was a magic pill I could take and just lose weight. I wish it was just easy and quick and I could just be a different person. And this can happen when we're in trouble like financially too. We can maybe owe a lot of money or uh, lose our job or something and we think, oh, if I could just win the lottery or if I could just inherit some money, then I would just have this big chunk of money and I could just put it on all of my problems and make them all go away and I could just be a different person like two days from now and have all of this resolved. So this again is just very normal, very human to want to be on the other side of the problem. But what is very tricky about that and comes into play in a very similar way when it comes to our financial health or our physical health is anytime we do get a quick fix to a problem, 
we often have not solved the problem, the actual problem. We've solved the symptoms of the problem, right? We've talked about that before, but the symptoms of the problem are what is causing us to overspend or overeat or whatever, right? But the problem is the way we think about money or the problem is the way we think about food or think about our health. Basically, the problem is the relationship that we have with the thing that we're struggling with. And when we get that big chunk of money or that surgery or, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying if you win the lottery or inherit money or get liposuction or anything like that is not inherently bad, but you will find that uh, this is just like a, a warning to couple with that, that there's often a deeper problem there that is not resolved by that immediate fix. So you do whatever you want to do, but just know that if the solution comes quickly, there's often going to be much more work to do. So the final comparison that I want to make, even though there's tons more, I just wanted to touch on a few, is that when it comes to improving our financial health or improving our physical health, it is often done in very small ways. Just like everything else with thought work, when we go to improve the relationship we have with something, it's often in just many small daily consistent ways. It's often not in large dramatic solutions. So it can be really powerful when you're studying like, or when you're analyzing your physical health and wanting to make improvements, it can be really powerful to just say like, I don't need to revolutionize anything or completely change anything. I'm just going to start to get a little bit more sleep, eat a little bit less sugar, exercise a little bit more, and then build on those habits. Like we often just don't even start working on something because we think we need to make huge heroic efforts. And that plays out very similarly when it comes to our financial health. We often just let ourselves sink deeper and deeper into, you know, maybe credit card debt or, or something like that because we think we need to make huge heroic efforts and changes. But it, as with most things, it starts small. All we need to do is to just start to plug some small holes in our spending and just start to take a look at what we're thinking about money and just start to adjust in small ways, like, like that bowling example I gave you. Just get those bumpers up. So the ball is still going to bump into the wall, the bowling ball, and it's still going to go all over the lane. We don't need the ball to just roll perfectly straight and get, uh, get all 10 pins every time in order to be successful when it comes to our physical health or our financial health. We just need to start making those small changes, small adjustments, identifying the way we're thinking and what that's creating for us, starting to think about how do I want to think about all of this and what will that create for me if I'm able to think that way pretty easily. Okay, I hope that this episode today has wiggled some things around in your brain, got your brain working on this. I know that if you are feeling uh, resistant to take a look at money, to take a look at what you're thinking about money, to get coached on money, to coach yourself on money, that that is completely normal. But I want you to push past that discomfort just a little bit and say like, I'm ready. I'm ready for that discomfort. I'm ready to push through that and just take a look at money anyway. Take a look at what I'm thinking about money and start to make some small changes in this area so that the, what I'm getting in my result line is a little bit closer to what I want to be getting in my result line when it comes to money and my relationship with money and my beliefs that I have around money. It is such fun work to do, you guys. Once you open up to that, to say like, 
it's okay that I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm just going to do it anyway. It's so fun to just start to improve your relationship with money and, and see what that does for you in your life. Because money is awesome, you guys. Seriously, I love money. And I love having a great relationship with money. And I love working with my brain on the parts that need some help. It is awesome. So I highly encourage you to do that. And that's your mission for this episode. Uh, some of those things that I've outlined here today. Okay, so that is what I have for you guys today. We're going to end this episode with a hot mess moment. I actually haven't done one of these in a while. I'm going to tell you this one pretty quickly. As our time for wearing masks is winding down, this is a mask story. So I was on vacation with my family and some friends and their families. And it was over my birthday. This was last year. And we went down to St. George, which is just a few hours away from where we live, but it's much warmer. And the boys got to go out one day and and go golfing and out to eat. And then the girls went out uh, without kids and got pedicures and something to eat, you know, just kind of like a guy's night out, girl's night out during this vacation. And I was sitting in my chair at the nail salon getting a pedicure, just totally relaxed, just in heaven. I think it was actually on my birthday. We did this on my birthday. And I was just in my happy place and it felt so good. And I took my mask off for a minute to get a picture. I wanted a picture for my birthday to post on Facebook or whatever. And so I was holding my mask in my hand for a minute and I just hadn't put it back on my face yet. And so I was kind of playing around with it. And this was a fabric mask that my mom had made for me. So it wasn't like a disposable one. It was one that you wear, you know, and then wash and then wear again. And so I was just playing with my mask and I saw that in one of the creases, like in one of the folds, there was some white stuff. And I thought that my first thought was that one of my kids had shoved like gum in my mask. So, you know, I keep my masks in my purse and I thought maybe one day they just needed to spit out their gum and didn't, couldn't find any garbage. So they like shoved it into this crevice in my mask. And I was like, ah, these stinking kids. <laughs> anyway, it was so funny that I was very quick to blame that on my kids. So I go to just pull it apart to see like how bad it was, like how sticky the gum was and if I could get it cleaned out because I, I love this mask. It was a good one. And it's not gum, you guys. This is going to maybe make some of your stomachs turn a little bit. And I'm real sorry if you have a squeamish stomach when it comes to bugs, you might want to stop listening. But um, it was a bug. It was a nest. I, I don't even know all the right words, but it was just this little... Um, caterpillar type thing. It wasn't a caterpillar. It wasn't like a cocoon, like it was trying to become a butterfly, but it was just a small kind of wormy thing inside, almost like a, like a, like a nest. I don't know what to call it besides that. It's so gross. And I accidentally just fully split it open thinking it was gum, thinking I was just stretching gum. Anyway, uh, there was a bug sitting there and this little worm thing. And I was so shocked. I could not have predicted that for a second. And I just sat there just stunned and in silence and just so grossed out that this bug was in my mask, in my purse. I don't even know. So after recovering from that initial surprise and shock, I turned to my friends and I'm like, you guys are never going to guess what is going on here. It's so weird. And I showed them. We were all just super grossed out. But this little bug was alive and wiggling and I had just busted up his house. So I don't know. I went outside of the salon to a tree with grass and I just plopped him out there. 
And then I just threw my mask away because I was like, I could probably wash this, but I'm just too grossed out. And the only thing that I can think of is I think that just in walking around outside, somehow it fell into my purse, a, a bug, a small bug, I guess. And then it went into and made this little nest to live in or hibernate in or whatever. I don't know, but it just found a cozy little spot. And then I busted it up his spot. So I promise I'm not like a gross bug lady. I don't have nests of things like it took me a little while to be like, this is now funny and not just absolutely gross. So I wanted to share that with you guys as a perfect hot mess moment to know that we're all just a little bit gross. We're doing our best. (laughs) Okay, that is what I have for you guys today. Are you ready to take what you are learning here to the next level? Then join me for resiliency training. This is my monthly coaching program that includes a private coaching session with me each month, along with weekly content and individual email support. Start anytime for just $100 a month and continue at that rate as desired with no obligation. We can all use a little help sometimes to get through the difficulties of military life, and that's exactly the boost this program will give you. Sign up on my website, simplyresilient.net. I can't wait to work with you.